Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 315, entitled Left Behind. This is the 64th hour of the series, and there are 57 to go. With that, let's jump into the Wikipedia summary for the episode. In flashbacks, we're in Iowa where Kate's car breaks down and is towed to a service station. She overhears a man and woman arguing. The woman is Cassidy, whom Sawyer trained to be a grifter, and who's all of whose money he stole. She's working on a jewelry con with the man. Ultimately, Kate helps her out, saying that her father was a jeweler, and the jewelry is not fake. They have drinks together, and Cassidy asks why Kate did not want the police there. Kate says her stepfather was a bad man, so she killed him, and is on the run from a U.S. Marshal. Cassidy offers to help, saying that she was conned and embarrassed by a bad guy too, and that one of them deserves something good. Ultimately, Cassidy helps Kate meet up with her mother. Diane, the mother, tells Kate that Kate killed the man she loved. Kate replies that Wayne abused her, but Diane simply snaps back that she didn't kill Wayne for anyone but herself. Diane promises not to say anything now, but the next time she sees Kate, she'll yell for help. The flashback concludes with Cassidy returning Kate to the service station. Cassidy tells her that she is pregnant. She says that she wants the guy dead but still loves him. Kate suggests to call the cops and have him locked up. However, Cassidy asks if Kate would forgive her mom for calling the cops. And Kate says no, but the guy has it coming. Elsewhere, at the barracks and in the jungle, Kate is held captive by the others and is still handcuffed. Juliet comes to bring her food, and Kate attempts to attack her, but Juliet quickly overpowers her. Soon after, Locke comes in to say that he is abandoning her and leaving with the others. Later, Kate hears a loud bang and looks outside in time to see the others packing to leave. They all put on gas masks. Then the door to the recreation center flies open. Someone tosses in a canister and slams the door shut. Gas fumes out, knocking Kate out cold. When she wakes up in the jungle, she is handcuffed to Juliet. Kate takes Juliet's knife and tries to unsuccessfully unlock the handcuffs. And Kate says they're going back for her friends. Ultimately, they get into a fight about Jack, and Kate dislocates Juliet's shoulder. Juliet's yell of pain attracts the smoke monster, but they hide in the roots of a banyan tree for cover. The monster rolls up in front of them. However, it ultimately retreats, leaving Juliet terrified. Juliet later reveals that Jack told Kate not to come back because of his broken heart. Kate comes Juliet down, and Juliet asks Kate to put her shoulder back in place, and after doing so, they fall asleep. The next morning, they make their way back to the barracks, but not before the monster returns. They take off running, come upon the sonic fence. Kate tries to stop Juliet, 
However, then Juliet reaches into her back pocket, producing a handcuff key. Now free, Juliet runs to the pylon, enters an access code, and runs across the barrier. She turns it back on just as the monster zooms in and it bounces off the barrier. After that, it quickly shoots away. Juliet admits that they do not know what it is, but they do know that it does not like their fence. Kate asks about the key. Juliet says that she was left behind too by people she knew and trusted. She hopes that if Kate thought they were together, that they could indeed work together. Kate and Juliet ultimately reach the barracks. It appears everyone is gone, although Juliet finds Saeed and Kate gets Jack. Jack suggests the four of them make their way back to camp. Saeed objects to Juliet coming with them, but Jack is insistent. Elsewhere at the beach, Curly tells Sawyer that after the Nikki and Paolo situation with the diamonds, the camp is going to vote on whether or not to banish him. Curly says there are benefits to living as part of a society and suggests that Sawyer make amends to fix things. Ultimately, Sawyer apologizes to Hurley for calling him all those names, is nice to Claire, gives Aaron a blanket, helps Desmond hunt for boar, and cooks it for everyone. Charlie tells Sawyer that he had not heard about any vote, and Sawyer realizes that he was conned by Hurley into being nice. Hurley explains that with Jack, Locke, Kate, and Saeed gone, Sawyer is all they have and is thus the de facto leader. Sawyer dislikes this idea, but Hurley insists that while Jack didn't like it either, didn't change the fact that all eyes were on him. Sawyer sees how happy he made people and attempts to keep good vibes going, even offering to hold Aaron for Claire. So with that rather clunkily written Wikipedia summary out of the uh, out of the way, let's now head to my thoughts about the episode. Now I think it would be fair to say right off the bat, uh, either this is not a very good episode or I was quite grumpy while, uh, while watching it. And I do suspect that it is the former and not the latter. Uh, my memory of it was that this was just an excessive uh, flashback story. Certainly, I mean, my goodness, it's yet another final episode of Jack with the Others. Can we please wrap this up? Not that it hasn't had its high points, of course, but I think there there certainly was, uh, you know, we wouldn't have thought at the beginning of the season, uh, we wouldn't have thought that Jack... You know, or even at the end of season two with the bags over their head, we would not have thought that it would take 15 episodes to get everyone back to quote-unquote normal. Anyhow, the episode itself, it does start with a, a promising previously on Lost, great Cassidy flashback, Kate on a mission, Locke blowing up the sub. We then head into a tense start to the episode proper. Kate is sneaking around a bit. She's ready to overpower Juliet. But insofar as Juliet in many ways is Kate 2.0, Juliet is quick to duck, quick to overpower Kate, and quick to give the snarky enjoy your sandwich regard, uh, or enjoy your sandwich uh, comment regarding the fact that Kate's lunch is now on the floor. Interesting, by the way, that Juliet is back to making sandwiches for these people. Um, Perhaps it's just a convenient turn of events given that... uh, you know, this episode about, about other things is about integrating Juliet into the, uh, the Survivor Beach uh, storyline. Anyhow, with that, this story moves to flashbacks where Kate, a.k.a. Lucy, has a beat-up car and the prospect of being stuck in the middle of Iowa. And at that point, it kind of quickly turns cute, kind of. 
It's Cassidy scamming dudes at a gas station, just like Sawyer taught her. Uh, it's jewelry. It's not other things going on at the gas station. Um, I don't know. It's it's interesting to pair these two con girls. Certainly both kind of sniff out scum on the other. They sniff out the the sneakiness between uh, that you know, that both carry with them, if you will. Um, I, I really think it's meant to be a sizzling start. Our two femme fatales together. Uh, and, of course, the question of, will they have a Sawyer connection? Will some, some you know, uh, dots be connected? Unfortunately, as we'll learn at the end, the answer is no. So it's kind of a sort of fake tension where, you know, we can almost predict that, right? At no time has Kate said to Sawyer, hey, you remind me a lot of this woman, Cassidy, and she had a kid and she was scammed by a guy. You know, it's... It, this has the feeling of kind of a bit of a filler episode and not even filler in the sense of we're going to have a lovely, you know, amusing uh, ping pong tournament between Hurley and uh, and Sawyer or filling in the way where oftentimes Sun and Jin episodes do little to advance the plot, but of course are very heartfelt. This just feels like they don't know what to do. Given that the episode is co-written, by Damon Lindelof and Elizabeth Sarnoff, uh, and having uh, a very high opinion of Lindelof and an increasingly low opinion of uh, Elizabeth Sarnoff. I, I blame old Lizzie Sarnoff there. Uh, anyhow, flashback ends. Locke enters the game room prison sounding very converted to the new way of doing things. He speaks of making a case for Kate, uh, but having found out her sins... He says that she simply can't go with him and the capital O others. Uh, she accuses him at one point of being brainwashed. I think that that is uh, that is a fair, um, oh, a fair question. It's probably an audience question. They're kind of you know reading our minds, anticipating what we'll think. Um, he of course denies it. We we know as well. It's not brainwashing in the uh the room 23 sort of sense um if anything it's kind of manipulation but it's not not brainwashing um anyhow with Locke having uh declared this you know that that he's moving on with the the good people the cool club and she is not he apologizes to her to end the act with that we get the title card then Sawyer on the beach where Hurley explains that the Nikki and Paolo business may result in Sawyer also getting kicked out of the cool kid camp on the beach. Now, this feels kind of vaguely silly. It's rare for Hurley to deliver truly deep news, particularly at this point in the show. I mean, I'm thinking of, uh, of uh, um, is it Across the Sea? Is that the, uh, is that the Richard episode? The Richard flashback that's right in, in the last three or four three episodes of the series there Hurley's given some gravitas but um here you know it's ultimately it's this we don't really think that Sawyer's going to be banished from the kingdom of uh, of our survivors it just doesn't feel authentic it doesn't feel like like what they're really going to make Sawyer live half a mile down the beach that's really how the show is going to go this guy who Everyone knows, everyone Everyone understands him as a known quantity. It's just, it's it's filler. It's 
it's filler. It's not to say that there aren't fun moments in it, but it, it does venture, as we'll see, into the silly. Um, it's, you know, as I say, it's an uncompelling slide uh, for the episode, um, especially once Hurley offers to uh, offers an unnamed way to make amends. Then we kind of see, oh, I get it. Sawyer's going to have to do stuff to be liked. I see the structure of the episode. With that, we cut to Kate in Dharmaville, where others are clearly moving out, down to gassing her room. Conveniently, she passes out, and things turn into a flashback. We see Cassidy and Kate having a girl-powered drink to discuss their mutual troubles, down to Kate conveniently telling us that, quote, a few months ago, close quote, she killed her stepfather, and she's here to see her mother. So certainly we're after what Kate did, uh, uh, you know, or the, the, the action of what she actually did, where a bit before, you might think right before, but we're a bit before the toy plane flashback. Ugh, not a good, that, I hate that toy plane, as you might recall from season two. Cassidy in returns tells the sad story of a bad guy she loved, a man that conned her and, ugh. Yes, we're right after that other Cassidy episode. I really feel at this point where they're really spelling out, here's where this story fits into the previous chronology. You have to ask, is this a leftover from the we must delay until we have an end date kind of uh, phase that the show was in? I really, really do think so. Um uh, I don't know. I mean, having really enjoyed last week's Nikki and Paolo episode, which I know is, you know, there's that famous description, it's so polarizing. I mean, to me, this is just an uncompelling episode. It has an uncompelling story, story structure, unlike Nikki and Paolo, where at least if you hated other things, and if you hated them as characters, at least it was this, oh, they die at the beginning, and we're going to find out at the end how they died. Um, you know, it was a, a cute little murder mystery. With this, ugh, ugh. Anyhow, at this point, you know, I'm, I'm watching the episode. I'm saying, can anything save us? Things do feel like they're picking up a bit when Kate wakes up in the jungle. Groggy. Handcuffed to Juliet. Now, why the sense of delay in my voice? Because the show drags it out. There's long Giacchino music. Kate looking shocked and holding it and holding it and holding it until the act break. We come back from the break uh, to Sawyer gamely pole fishing to prove his worth. He sees Sun and Jin fishing. Uh, and uh, one look from Sun reminds us, of course, that he's guilty of her attack, at least having planned it. Something revisited last episode. He catches a fish easily and, of course, guts it with difficulty. That gutting, it's a bit too long. It's goofy old Sawyer doing goofy old things. It's an easy route to comedy, you know, having the manly man not know what to do. You know, eh. I mean, to me, and that's the criticism, that it is an easy route. It's not, I don't know, it's, it's not about chemistry. Let's say some of the Charlie and Hurley stuff together. That's about the chemistry of the two actors. Well, this is just like, Wow, Sawyer's the man that most men would like to be and most women would like to be with. 
So what are we going to do? Have him be completely incompetent. Because as Hurley says, you've been here three months and you haven't learned how to catch a fish or gut a fish. Everybody knows how to do that. It's that heavy pen, courtesy of Lindelof and Sarnoff. Uh, Anyhow, with that, Sawyer is now stinking a fish. He nicely moves the clunky plot along. By going to Hurley, he apologizes for all those names and asks for help to change the vote out Sawyer movement. Uh, I don't know. The other thing is, too, I mean, really, we're back to, I mean, it's it's a weird pairing, Sawyer and Hurley. I mean, it works, but it's like we had them do ping pong. Then we had them do the Nikki and Paolo thing. Yes, with some help from others. Now we have... You know, them carrying the, the the beach story. Anyhow, we cut to Kate stealing uh, Juliet's knife. Juliet conveniently wakes up, professing ignorance as to why they're there. Now, for first-time viewers, it really feels... Like, you know, even for first-time viewers, I want to stress, it feels like smart money would be on Juliet being part of the I'm a prisoner too scam, you know? Or, you know, I'm with the I'm with you scam. Don't know what I'm talking about. Ben's just a prisoner. That's the scam. You know, Ben Ben, ben got caught. That's the scam. Uh, Goodwin crashed too. Ethan crashed too. That's all. I think it's something we need to be very suspicious of. And the show kind of doesn't give us credit that we are thinking that's a possibility. Um, at this point, there's some very direct exposition. Right? Good exposition. You're just watching two people have a conversation. Bad exposition. You're, you know, it's the show saying, do you all have this at home? Do you understand? And we get some of that. Locke said goodbye. The others were packing up. Oh, you didn't know that, Juliet? And so forth. With that, we go back to flashback, where again, I was sitting here wondering, am I either really grumpy or is the episode truly clunky? Brunette, dressed like Kate, goes to visit Mom, where the marshals are. But it's Cassidy, dressed like Kate. Are we surprised? Eh, only marginally. I mean, not for nothing. You're sitting there. They've made reference to, there's, they're probably watching your mom 24-7. We only see the back of, quote-unquote, Kate as she goes up to the door. And then we see the marshals pour out. And then we go, oh... Well, Kate ultimately gets away from the marshal, and then, you know, not ultimately, Kate ultimately gets caught. Is this how she gets caught? Well, wait a minute. When Mom came to the door for the briefest of seconds, Mom looked A-OK, and Mom was dying of cancer. You know, it's like, we, you know, it, I mean, I think some of it's meant to go by too fast. Hey, is that the Mom? But instead, it's we just kind of go, yep, there's Mom, no problem. So, ugh. The best part of the scene, by the way, it's seeing the return of the marshal, who I think is one of those kind of, he's simultaneously two-dimensional and beloved. Uh, I mean, beloved is a bit much. I mean, arts is beloved. Uh, you know, the marshal, it's always great to see him return. We can say that much. Uh, in the next scene, still in flashback, we're back at Ye Oldie Motel, where the con girls are hanging out, and Cassidy demands answers the answers are 
a rehash of what Kate did spelled out to the nth degree. I did this stuff. Now I need to know why mom chose him. Flashback over. It's nighttime on the island and the handcuffed girls are caught in the rain. Okay, we get it. It's two tales of Kate with strong female accomplices. And we get it. Juliet looks great when wet. Uh, And when the two do finally tussle, we think it's going to be a fair fight, although it is conspicuously one-sided for Kate, which is kind of odd since she got creamed last time. I think, you know, first-time viewers, you you know, you say, oh, it was Juliet pulling her punches the way Ben did. Ben let himself get beat up for this higher reason why. Um, You know, they ultimately do explain it as uh, Juliet has this, uh, you know, has the, the shoulder that dislocates easily. Um, which, well, you know, <laughs> as slow as the episode might be at this point, or as plenty, things do pick up, taking us to the act break and then past it. I said I It's worth mentioning that we see exactly zero of the monster at this point. It's all done from point-of-view cameras as Smokey approaches, and it's done by shining a big old flashlight in Juliet's eyes as she gets scanned. Essentially, it's all smoke and mirrors, if you pardon the pun. There's kind of no monster there, for whatever reason. I'm assuming it's cost-saving, but... And that almost kind of leaves us feeling a bit cheated. I mean, yeah, we have a great monster scene later. and Maybe that's the setup. Don't see it this time, then the next time you really get some good smoky action. But I don't know. To, to me, it just it comes off as very cheap. You could have done it different ways. There's been times where we haven't seen the smoke. I don't know. It's just, you know, it's another, you know, uh, loose thread that, that this episode has, you know, because it's not well-constructed. Story at this point promptly moves to the B story, where Groveling Sawyer goes to Claire, uh, goes to get the Claire vote by calling Aaron less wrinkly. It offers Claire an extra blanket because 
I don't like blankets. It's his, obviously, his uh, forced uh, conversation with her, although it feels forced to us as viewers of this fiction. Sora gets a quick thumbs up from Hurley, and then we move back to Juliet with her dislocated shoulder and exposition and rehash. If it weren't for you, I would be on my way home right now. Jack told me not to come back to protect me because he didn't want me to get hurt. Is that what you think? Yeah, that's what I think. We have cameras on the cages, Cade. All of them. He saw you. You and Sawyer. The reason Jack told you not to come back wasn't because he didn't want you to get hurt. It was because you broke his heart. So, grab my wrist, push up, and twist. Rehash, though that may be, at least it has a bit of symmetry going for it. It's all well and good to start and end with a, well, I guess start with a shoulder dislocation or a dislocated shoulder, end with a shoulder relocation. But what's the purpose of that scene? Why why have I played it? Well, it's an example of Kate just finding things out. It's as simple as that. It's just kind of talky-talky-talky about past stuff with a little bit of revelation Oh, I didn't know that. Well, guess what? You could have figured it out. Because we saw Jack see Kate and Sawyer make the beast with two backs. And we saw how sad he was. Anyhow, we have an act break. After that, Sawyer is a-hunting with Desmond. And the story really starts to wear thin on its purpose. We're seeing the pattern now. Sawyer goes from character to character, giving them screen time and interesting dialogue. Ugh. This we hop back to Kate, walking next to Juliet, as they should since they're handcuffed and whatnot. Uh, then flash back to Kate's mom's diner, where Cassidy spills chili to get mom to the bathroom, where Kate can talk to mom about why mom turned Kate in over what was done to Wayne. Creak goes the story. Ugh. It's, it's these machinations for no clear purpose i mean yeah fine the purpose is to have kate talk to mom guess what we saw her talk to mom once we got the idea she sees her daughter who's on the run she's dying of cancer what does she say help 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 we get it mom chose wayne's side again wayne right wayne the abusive husband and possible you know molester becomes somebody who in the course of this episode we go yeah, should he really have died? I mean, come on, Kate. Look, your mom. Your mom's just saying that the heart chooses what the heart chooses, and you. And mom's an adult, and mom made you know made her decision. And if it was a bad one, then all mom is saying is, "Let I made my bad decision. If I want to change my mind, I'll change it." Don't you go blowing up people and breaking the law just because you know y- you think mom can't make decisions? And we kind of go, yeah. You know, poor Wayne. Could have just left him. Could have called 911. Yeah, poor Wayne. Poor Wayne, the abusive husband and child molester, right? That's what this episode does, is makes us hate Kate 
more than Wayne. Why, of course, well, did mom stick with him? Mom loved him, the episode says, and murdering people is actually a bad thing. There's your life lesson, kids. We can't choose who we love and don't murder. The scene ends with some kind of vague cuteness. If mom sees Kate again, the first thing she'll do is yell for help. Get it? It's just like the toy plane episode. They're so proud of themselves that they made that little connection. Are you proud? No. Back to the Kate and Juliet show, they simply share more stuff. Jules knows lots about Jack. Kate knows little. At this point, the story feels that it could really use a shot in the arm. Yes, they're on the run from the smoke monster. Juliet produces her secretly hidden key. She punches some buttons on the sonic fence. She sets some doohickeys then. have to admit this is a pretty well done scene just that great fence the the smoke monster running off the shock of juliet just having revealed all of this kate of course is huffy see all right we don't know what it is but we know that it doesn't like our fence you had a key they left me behind too they gassed me i know that you don't care But the people I spent the last three years of my life with, they just left me. Okay, so did you get all that nice and clear? Yes, it's a fun little tidbit. Oh, the others know about the monster. Okay, that's that's worth pondering about, right? What do they know? Apparently, if we believe her, they don't know too much. Uh, Now we know the purpose of the sonic fence. It's actually to keep Smokey out. It's not for, you know, mere humans. Uh, uh, But that's an added bonus. Apparently, at least some of the others know how to work it, um, you know, with the code and the timer and all that. So good stuff there. But then we end up, you know, Juliet really hammering it home. Do you understand that she's been left behind? Hey, is that the name of the episode? Anyhow, (laughs) again, Kate being grumpy and storming off, I guess. Me too, Kate, me too. But uh, that's how the act ends. Back from the break, Charlie is uh, appreciative of the boar roast. At this point, Sawyer is reminded by him that round these parts, no one votes. There wasn't ever going to be no vote. But wasn't it nice being nice? You tricked me into being decent? That's got to be the lamest cons in the history of cons. Wasn't a con, dude. If you're going to be our temporary leader, you need to do some damage control. Leader? the hell are you smoking? Jack's gone. Locke's gone. Kane Saeed. You're all we got. So that's the motivation of this particular storyline that, you know, we have to learn Sawyer real good about being a leader. Now, granted, at least it's showing Hurley as the new man in charge. It's been a little while since we saw that, uh, you know, little hint, if you will, that little hint towards his future greatness. Um, but still, it's like the whole thing was to you know, 
give Sawyer some you know, Kobayashi Maru lesson where he can confront the thing he doesn't want to do and be stronger from it. At this point, there's a lovely little Chikino montage with everyone happily eating. It's nice and all, but it's still rather fillerish. Everyone is happy. Sawyer is a good guy, though son isn't forgiving. And uh, that particular bit of story over, we then return to Othersville. Kate and Juliet sneak into the village to retrieve Saeed and Jack, who conveniently have been left there. It's a bit of an episode mystery uh, to where everyone went to. Uh, of course, they're hiking to the temple, a place that we'll finally see in season six. But short term, it just feels like a way to get Jack and Saeed back on Survivor Beach. Kate gets Jack, and there's heartfelt dialogue about how Jack is so concerned for Juliet. And really, at this point, we would we could only be better served if Jack just sat there and actually drew a triangle to demonstrate the love triangle that's going on for the, the daft among us who don't get it from the normal dialogue. What now, asks Kate? Now we go back, says Jack. With that, we return to flashback, where Cassidy drops Kate off uh, back at her now-fixed car. Notice how convenient it was that Kate could be there just long enough to get the fan belt replaced, which required two or three days' time to get it to the middle of Iowa, and now that that time has elapsed, Kate can now conveniently leave, which also conveniently is the same length of time it takes her to go on the mom adventure. Anyhow, Cassidy won't reveal the name of her mystery Connor, no shocker there, and says that she's pregnant, something that we've been told before, albeit without being sure, in this season's odd Sawyer prison con flashback. So there we go, that particular mystery, are they going to have some Sawyer connection? It does not happen. Uh, this flashback story finally over. Uh, we have the crew getting together. Kate, Saeed, Jack, and Juliet, all ready to head out. Though Saeed loudly declares, she won't come with us. Yes, says Jack, because she was, wait for it, episode title, left behind, two. Takino tells us that's pretty important by his music, uh, despite the fact that we know she's quite trustworthy on account of the whole, hey, Jack, kill Ben thing. And the fact that we've seen her show great remorse in the fact that she's prisoner on the island too. However, it's with this bit of stern conflict that the episode ends. So with that, let's take a look at Lostpedia, shall we? For any little bits and pieces that I have missed. When Locke visits Kate in the rec room, he mysteriously has a bandage around his right hand, despite not having had it in the, uh, his previous episode. This is explained in his next appearance, four episodes later, in The Brig. Speaking of hands, Juliet's hand, right hand is handcuffed to Kate's left, conferring Kate the advantage as both are right-handed. So certainly that might have been a factor in the fight as well. Also says Lostpedia, when the monster attacks Juliet the second time, three separate puffs of smoke converge before slamming into the sonic fence. The producers have confirmed that one of the names for the monster is Cerebus, which in mythology had three heads. I'll mention uh, to what Lostpedia says, uh, uh, well, I'll mention this. Uh, on the Blast Door map, there also were uh, Cere uh, Cerebus Vents 
And uh, speculation at the time was that that was the smoke monsters, Cerebus, the, you know, the guardian of the, the underworld, et cetera, et cetera. So this kind of seems like a nice um, consistent thing that over time, Smokey has been called Cerebus. Uh, penultimately from Lostpedia, when Kate and Juliet are hiding from the monster, the camera assumes the point of view of the monster. While ducking and weaving through the jungle, the camera points to the left, and a person in a red shirt can be seen amongst the foliage, as well as a red hat light. So I will admit, I usually have a pretty keen eye for this stuff. I did not catch that, but uh, I will take Lostpedia at its word. Last but not least, the six-digit code that Juliet types in is... 151623. Only the final four digits are shown, but all six digits can be heard being typed. So with that, that wraps things up for this episode. Another shorter episode this week. I think, you know, we're in a bit of a, you know, midpoint of the season. There's, um, you know, the the fast-paced, but, you know, not much for theorizing in uh, last week's episode. This week's episode as well. Um, But always great fun, nonetheless, to be getting together with you, to be talking about Lost. Let's look ahead to next week. Next week is episode 316, entitled One of Us, and it is a uh, Juliet episode. So with that, thank you very much for listening, and uh, be safe. I will talk to you all again next week. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.